Adam, welcome. How are we doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Um, before we get going, a bit of congratulations first. I believe you and the wife are expecting your first child. Yes, we are. We've got our uh, our first coming at the end of January, 29th of January. So exciting times. Your life's about to get turned upside down. <laughs> I was actually looking at your Instagram. It was beautiful. You had all these beach settings. You were in swimming pools, loads of late night drinks, loads of fun things. I thought the pool sod. He uh, has no idea. Your Instagram is going to be very different it next is, year. It, you know, we have been living the life over the last few years, traveling, living in America, finished up playing professional rugby and uh, back based in Glasgow now and everything is going to change but right. it's going to be nice like looking forward to it I feel like we're ah, ready we're for here, that stage in our life mm-hmm. you know just something different and someone else to look after will be nice yeah, it is different <laughs> I bet it's different <laughs> so by a way it's a means of introduction um, so retired professional rugby player yeah. um, Scotland captain international mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneur which we'll get on to as we go through the podcast um, rugby coach and superstar DJ is that is that about right? Yeah, I think you've summed it up. I mean, uh, pro, uh, it's quite the an thing, intro. The, the thing that I would <laughs> say is that you know I've got a lot of mates that uh, I guess have went to the top of their sort of area, whether it's like rugby DJs, whatever. I do all those things, but I've probably never been the absolute best at any of them. So I've got a lot of things that I'm interested in, and a lot of things that I like to pursue. Um, and I don't know why that is, but I, I like having variety in my life, but I love following the things that I love and, and make sense to me. So, uh, yeah, it makes me sound like a, a legend, but I don't know if I've <laughs> quite got that status. So in terms see the, the music, the DJ, is that something that you enjoy and you're good at, or is it something you see you actually progressing into, like a, a full-time main thing that you do? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, you know, I spent you know, 18 years old, started sort of, DJing just as a bedroom DJ and then uh, over the course of sort of my rugby career ended up doing gigs and whatnot and then about four years ago started producing my own music which I really enjoyed Uh, you know my taste in music has developed over the years it probably you know when I was 16, 17, 18 it was rock you know indie type stuff Blink 182 that was my kind of era uh, and then just as time moved on, it, it, I guess the world has went a lot more electronic in terms of how music gets made. So that uh, was just natural sort of progression for me. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm putting stuff out there with the intention that it's what I like and it's what I would dance to on the dance floor. And if people like it, great. But, you know, there's a lot of luck, I think, that comes into sort of cracking it onto that bigger stage. And also, you know, you need to understand really how to... I think market yourself and be doing all of these things as you know fine well digitally that you, you just have to be doing and if you're not doing the chances of progressing are probably slimmer so we'll see what happens that's that's the answer yeah you're doing it the right way you don't because you enjoy it no pressure on yourself and you yeah. see what happens yeah. do you think you're scratching on it a wee bit in terms of playing in rugby stadiums full of people the pressure the the, the limelight I guess on you and then yeah well, that's a good question mm. uh, you know when you're up there playing in front of a uh, you know, however many people. My biggest crowd so far today is, I think, being about ten thousand people. Yeah. Uh, you are, you're performing. You mm-hmm. know, the pressure's on you. You know, if you hit the wrong thing or you know don't get the beat matched properly, you know, it, the people will hear it, and ultimately, that's your uh, your reputation's on the line. So it's, it's a similar sort of thing to performance. You could probably compare it to an individual sport rather than a team sport. And a team sport, you. In my position, I probably felt as if I had a little bit more leeway in terms of the pressure wasn't all on me. I was part of a cog that was, you know, ticking and it took many pieces to make that happen. So it is slightly different, um, but I, I do enjoy it. You know, I always, before I'm playing gigs and whatnot, you do get a bit nervous. 
Uh, obviously, you can play to different crowds and whatnot, but certainly in the club setting where people are coming to listen to a specific type of music and generally those people are people who like DJing or, or like that kind of scene. So the the expectations are there and you know, you're know you expected to be able to do a job. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I've got a couple of mates like that who, when they were listening to music, they were always talking about, oh, you missed this or he did that. And I was like, what? I've been to CNN. Barely see. So into rugby. So, uh-huh. um, in the west coast of Scotland, there's a perception that if you were any good at rugby, you must have went to private school. But that mm-hmm. wasn't the the journey you took, was it? No, it wasn't. I was, uh, I guess, just a regular kid from a from a regular family. You know, parents did okay, but you know, were by no means rich. Um, went to Alva Academy uh, for, from a high school. You know, very uh, just a, a run of the mill school uh, in a small village. But yeah, I guess rugby is generally seen as a, a sport that is a bit more educated. Uh, tends to be private school kids that push on and whatnot. But unless you know, you're from Wales and everyone plays aye, down aye. in the valleys mm-hmm. in Wales, where uh, you know that's they probably don't even have private schools down there. <laughs> the, uh, but it's I it's been an interesting old journey. You know, the, the high school that I went to, there was uh, a sort of group of guys that were in my my year or above or below that pushed on in rugby. And you know, I think it's the whole case of when you get a lot of people uh, in a small area all passionate about something they push each other's standards and they and they develop each other nobody wants to get left behind so and we were all in the gym you know we were all decent sized lads so uh, you know there was myself a guy called Jamie Batty who you know I've known since I was five or six years old running around with him uh, he now plays for Scotland plays for Glasgow uh, there was another lad Rainer Kennedy who just won the the Super 6 competition with Sterling Wills which isn't necessarily professional but um, you know, they get paid it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good level so you know those two guys have pushed on uh, they lasted longer than I did I've now retired uh, too, too many injuries but it's been great to see see that happening um, and yeah I think things are changing slowly but surely there's definitely more opportunities uh, within Scotland for non-private school people to get into rugby, whether that being in the male or female game. The club rugby game is strong. Uh, Scotland's always had some top teams that have competed against you know, the likes of uh, championship teams down in England and even top teams down in Wales. So the club game's good and, and I think it does provide opportunities for people to come into the pro game in different ways other than just obviously the private school. I went to a good school. Um, when, what age did you think, actually, this is maybe something... I'm serious about it, I'm good at it and I wouldn't do it. What what age were you? Yeah, I mean I can remember really clear in my mind there was like the boy a couple of years older than me in school and he had managed to represent Scotland under seventeens at rugby and that, that was around about the same time as I think it must have been the two thousand and seven World Cup, was it maybe? It might have been the one after that, I actually can't remember. But I remember there was two things that happened. I seen him doing that and that made me think, Oh, I'd love to do that. And then there was the other watch thing watching the, the 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 rugby world cup on the TV and just seeing these guys representing their country almost like Spartan warriors you know hammering each other mm-hmm. it was warfare that also appealed to me to be able to go out there and do that I mm-hmm. just thought what a buzz that would be what an experience it would be so that that was the two sort of pivotal moments where that uh, inspiration was sort of like tapped into in my mind motivation and then from there onwards it was like well, let's just give this a go. Uh, and it, it was probably a couple of years after that where certain things started to happen that made me think, you might be able to have a go at this. Mm-hmm. The You always need, there always has to be a, 
an event or a club that was able to push you on and it's getting into the right environment with the right circle with the right people who, who mm -hmm. give boys like yourself that, that that opportunity so was that from school or did you get a local club yeah there was a little bit of both so I mean I started playing rugby when I was about uh, five or six years old the local club uh, along from where my parents stayed it was called Hillfoot Rugby mm -hmm. Club that was where I started I played for a couple of years stopped then at high school, um, I, I played football. You know, I was big into it. My older brother played. Um, but there was a, a PE teacher in the school who was a massive rugby guy. And he saw me sort of getting bigger and growing. And when I got to the third year, he said, what the hell are you doing playing football? You should be playing the rugby team. And I thought, oh, maybe I should be. So went and played rugby, got back into it. Uh, actually went back down to the original club, Hillfoots, for a year. Ended up going to Stirling County, which was really the club that I pushed on it. I think, you know, Stirling's one of the biggest clubs in Scotland. A lot of good, young, talented players there. And when you get yourself around guys like that, and you you probably surprise yourself in the way that I can kind of play with these guys. I can mm. come up with these guys. I'm 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 in a decent spot here. That's when the other opportunities started to come into you know uh, under 16, 17s, regional, then national, and then that was that was really the start of it. One of my son's pals, he plays rugby um, shout out to Matthew he's 13 mm -hmm. and he I told him I was coming on to speak to you and he, he had a he had a couple of questions um, he was um, a really good question actually he was saying ask him if he's ever was he ever not part of the starting 15 when he was growing up oh yes aye oh, yes, like, <laughs> honestly and has said there's a perception that yeah. I'm on the bench so what's, what am I doing wrong or? no I, honestly man this is one of the things that I've sort of come up against in, in my whole career and I've actually said this to people before I don't know, I mean, this this could be completely wrong and off mm -hmm. the mark, but I don't really know of any other players that I can think of that have been dropped more than me. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean like in the younger ages, because like I will have been dropped a lot at those points, but um, my, my career was, a professional career was probably one of like quite a lot of injuries, quite a lot of uh, things happened quite early on. And then... You know, I sort of found myself dropping off of that and then back not representing at the highest level. And it was always a sort of dipping and diving of, you know, coming and going, getting dropped, starting, missing out on a squad, being in a squad. Um, and there is a lot of good to be learned from that. As much as you don't want that to happen, like it's amazing how that can serve you moving forward in life. If you first picked your whole life, I then know. it goes wrong. I know. You've got no resolve, do you? Yeah. It's so interesting. But th there was many times when I was younger as well that you know I wouldn't have played. Um, so my advice to to somebody who's thinking along those lines of maybe I'm not getting picked. You know, I don't know if I can push on. No, that's just the first of many times that's going to happen. Keep working, keep enjoying it, keep turning up. Uh, don't believe everything that you think because at the end of the day, um, you're a human being and you're going to feel insecure and you're going to come from a place of lack. But if you can keep turning up, keep enjoying, and if you can keep working hard, you'll be amazed at where you can go. Mm. And what see for the youngsters, what's is there one that's more important than others, the kind of, Technicality or physicality at that age is it? Is it get the technique? Yeah, rather than trying to smash a pal. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, you all get big physical lads that just excel at that level because of their sheer athleticism. Mm. But you do get a lot of smaller players that uh, maybe their mentality is really well aligned to the game. Maybe they just you know like 
you know, those kind of like feral kids that, you know, were out running around in the bogs and that. Like, you get guys like that. But you also just get kids that learn quickly. They're maybe not massive, but they're technically really good and can advance quickly. So you get all sorts of different guys w when you're growing up and, and, and getting older. So I would say there's a mix, but, you know, if you can see that, um, if, if you can sort of tap into what your strength is and, and just keep working on that and make that the biggest part of your game and that differentiates you, whether it being in here, whether it being because you're big and strong or whether it being because you learn quickly uh, or maybe you understand the tactics more than other people, figure out what that is and just keep nailing it. I exploit it. Yeah. Aye. Mm -hmm. So how did you go from the, the kind of local rugby to end up getting called up? Yeah. Because it was young. You were young at the time and you, you got your first tap, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Aye. I was pretty young. Uh, so when I went to Stirling County, played for a couple of years there, uh, I started to make like some regional squads uh, that then led to making Scotland under 17s that was the first time I represented my country absolutely loved it but at that point you know, that was a challenging year because I had a coach that I just found really really difficult to work with you know he was a very sort of specific type of coach and you know a lot of uh, a lot of shouting and screaming and a lot of uh, very direct messaging that I think was a quite a tricky period for me I almost walked away from it anyway managed to hang in there uh, mainly because I think a lot of my friends were there um, and then representing Scotland 18s uh, after that I sort of got a, an opportunity to go into an academy setup, which was at Glasgow Warriors so at that point the academy setup was full time and I think we got paid uh, £10,000 £10, a year finished high school went and did that trained with the pro team um, that year I also played sevens for Scotland that was part of my contract was that you would come and do pre-season with Glasgow Warriors and then you would go and play sevens for Scotland so that was a really really good year for me uh, I really sort of just focused and, and really tried to get everything I could out of it and uh, yeah I, I think that sort of paid off I managed to sort of turn a few heads and get a little bit of attention and you know people were thinking maybe that there's a chance that he could go on to the what, were you, what were you getting notes from was it your physicality was it uh, physicality work rate um, at that point probably you, you know I wouldn't give up I just never gave up you know I had this like thing running within my head that I, I could push myself harder than other people um, I remember going to a marine camp with Glasgow Warriors I would have been 17 maybe just turned 18 and the whole uh, the senior squad was there and we got absolutely flogged for four days like the the worst pain I've been in in my life you know I've never been at a stage where I've been running calves cramping, hamstrings cramping, quads cramping, could basically couldn't feel my legs. Uh, but I somehow managed to get through that and that was one of my first instances of being involved in the group and it was only about half the team that got through oh, wow. because I was one of the youngest. I think the coaches were like, oh, like maybe he's got a bit of potential. So a lot of the opportunities and doors that were open just personally for me, I think, came from one, being quite big and athletic, but two, having a sort of a deeper driver of, I've just not given up. So were you playing for, were you still at Warriors when you got the call for Scotland? I was, yeah. I was still there, so I'll go back. I got sidetracked there a wee bit. But <laughs> the, uh, uh, played sevens. Uh, the next season, so it'd be 19 at this point, uh, came back to Glasgow Warriors, was training, started to play a few games there, was getting um, a couple of games off the bench. Ended up getting a, a bad injury that sort of kept coming back. So for about five months at that point, um, Scottish Rugby sent me out to New Zealand oh, well. to go on a four-month scholarship to the best club in the world, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I got to go and learn from all these 
unbelievable coaches, guys that are playing for the All Blacks now that you know were my age and I was running around with over there. Uh, that, that was a great experience. Um, it really more of a culture over there, isn't oh, it? It's God, a rugby. It's, it's a way of life. Huge, it's, you know, uh, it's hard to explain, but everybody is obsessed with rugby. You know, you would. I was playing for a club team out there, and I would uh, speak to somebody in a bar after a game, and it was like the same reaction that you would get here for playing pro. Mm. <laughs> like, and it was just club rugby. So that that gave me a little bit of confidence because I sort of started to realise that I'm mixing with some of these guys that are the top players in New Zealand and, I, and I'm holding my own I'm, I'm not necessarily the best player here but I'm, I'm able to sort of keep going um, so I went back to well actually before I went back to Scotland this is when I got my first cap I was playing club rugby in New Zealand Scotland were touring um, America, Canada, Argentina then they went to South Africa for their last game and I had been playing club rugby in New Zealand. There was a load of injuries in the squad. I got a phone call, can you come out? Uh, we're needing some cover. So I flew out to uh, South Africa, met up with the Scotland squad, and uh, there was a new coach who had just come in and he had uh, been keeping an eye on how things were going for me out there. So I ended up uh, starting against Springboks that week uh, for Scotland, and I'd been playing club rugby in New Zealand, which is like, it's incomparable. Aye. It's like going from playing boys football to playing for Rangers like uh -huh. it's just and somehow it managed to go okay for me like although the scoreline was something like 50 points to 7 or something like that I actually had managed to have a decent game and I think um, again through that two or three year period there just seemed to be like although I was injured quite a lot whenever I got the opportunity to play I was able to sort of go from strength to strength and and I don't know why that was. I, I think it was really probably because I was just so passionate about what I was doing and loved it. That, um, that's quite a step. So you're going from, um, as you say, club rugby off the plane and in, in, in international squad. Yeah. And see, when you walk into the, the dressing room like that, you must be absolutely shitting yourself. Oh, I was absolutely shitting myself, Aye. honestly. Like, you know, full house stadium, 50,000 people sold out, probably five Scotland fans there. You know, the rest <laughs> were South African. Uh, it was a an, an unbelievable experience. Um, I, I was scared, you know, on you know borderline in tears on mm -hmm. the way of the game. Not not because I was scared, more because I was just emotional. You know, like it was everything I wanted to do up to that point yeah. was was that five, six, seven years in the making. Um, so it was it was an unbelievable experience, and there was a mixture of fear, um, excitement, you know, just that emotion in general. Uh, and I remember coming off the field after the game and I, I knew in my head that it had went okay for me albeit the score was atrocious um, and just feeling a sense of relief because of this, the amount of stress that you know you go through in the build up to getting your first game yeah. for Scotland And how were the, the, the kind of older pros where a young boy coming in did they, did they help did they do nothing did they make your life harder but both um, you know you they, they'll help you out and when it comes to all the sort of tactical technical stuff in the field to help you out but you, you get a bit of a hard time in the background as being the youngest guy there and you know they'll try and initiate you in some ways uh, whether that being making you sing at the front of the bus or um, or after the game sinking a load of beers uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I know it, it, it's a good environment you know we had uh, a mix of all sorts of different people I think by that stage of the tour there was a lot of injuries and, and a, a mixed squad so I was um I was around some good people and uh, I was hungry for the opportunity so it just yeah, thankfully it went okay for me and that then sort of led to other opportunities. Excellent. And 
the overall, I've always wondered at these um, elite levels when, so you're up against it, you go in at half time, you go in that dressing room, we're watching the telly, all you see is the door shuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what's the dynamic like in, in those yeah. situations? It depends how the game's going. If you're getting beat and you know, you've know you not uh, fronted up and, and as a collective group went out and done what you've said you wanted to do, normally the coach is you know, going to be angry and most of the time we'll try and send a message that can be done in different ways. Um, you know, I've been in changing rooms where people have been singled out, you know, and it's Brutal. quite intense mm -hmm. and, you know, people are copping all sorts of abuse, but... Um, Do the players have a go at each other or is it for the, the coach? No, is not, the not usually you would see players having a go at each other. There are players out there that uh, have reputations of, you know, uh, going at other players in the team I, I, I was quite fortunate I never really had anybody like mm -hmm. that that I played with but you do hear about it um, occasionally things would get a little bit heated but it was never to the point of blame and destruction it was just you know quite constructive a lot of the time um, yes on a, on occasion a coach would do that you know completely lose it with somebody and you know uh, isolate them in front of the whole team and, and go through them that, that happened uh, but fortunately you know, it didn't happen between the players. I think it's really important for the, the people on the field to stay together. You know, as as much as it gets difficult and tough conversations are had when when it becomes to the point of like blaming and right. you know pointing the finger and really going at somebody, I just don't think that's helpful in the slightest. And it's probably not helpful from a coach either, unless you're sixteen years old and you need you need it. You maybe need it. Uh -huh. You know, at that certain point in your life. But I think when you're dealing with adults, I generally think that way of dealing with things never really gets a good response. Can you hide on a professional rugby field? You can try, but uh -huh. I mean, once you get to a certain level, you'll get found out. Uh, I mean, when you look at kids' rugby, even sixteens, eighteens. Loads of kids are hiding. I you see know, ones you, you don't you, fancy it today. Yeah, and that. Yeah. <laughs> you see it all yeah. over the place. Aye. And I've been that guy before. Mm -hmm. Maybe I, I was nursing an injury or something and, you know, didn't fancy tackling on my right shoulder. But once you get to a certain level, you it's just clear as day when you are doing that. You know, you have to be all in. You have to commit. Even if you are carrying an injury, um, you still have to commit. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't generally see that in the professional game or even like men's games uh, above a certain level. You're all in or you're out because Aye. if you're uh, not you all in, muscle. you just won't get an opportunity again. And did you guys have all the tech at the time in terms of the trackers and your jerseys at the back to see yeah. how much distance you were doing? Because that yeah. doesn't really leave a lot of room to hide either, does it? You can't, <laughs> somebody shows you a pie chart that I you know. didn't run. No, that, that's Aye. the worst bit. Uh, <laughs> that, that probably came in when I was halfway through my career, so got to like 23, 24, uh, and you know, sports science sort of evolved, and you, you had all these GPS trackers and all these mm -hmm. data sheets getting sent out after training and after games. And it was probably something that I battled with, to be honest, towards the end of my career because um, I was never particularly fast or or powerful. I'd say it was quite powerful, but compared to some of the athletes that I was coming up against at mm -hmm. the end of my career, you know, after getting sort of injuries, you start declining yeah. athletically. You know, you, you would constantly be getting messages off uh, the strength conditioning coach, the trainer, the coach, like why your number's not high enough, like the other back oh. rowers are <laughs> in this position, you're down here. And I mean, for me, a lot of it is, it was never an effort thing for me. Like maybe there was a couple of occasions where I maybe wasn't conscious of the fact that I had to work harder. But for me, I, I felt like it was just a a, a, a lack of, fast twitch fibres a lot of the time because yeah. like, at the end of the day some people can move fast and some people can't I just wasn't the type of player that uh, could have hit the numbers that was being asked of so 
you know, it, it gets quite complicated at that point. All you can really say is, uh, yeah, I'll I'll try harder. I'll I'll, I'll try and hit the numbers. Because <laughs> I was reading online, um, it was saying that they actually time how long it takes you to to get up off the deck. Mm-hmm. So there's actually nowhere to hide. So they're saying Aye. it took you three seconds to get up. You should be up in two point five. And yeah, no, uh, they have those stats. That a lot of teams refer to it as like back in the game stats. Aye. So when you make a tackle or you're, you know, in a ruck or whatever, you have to get back in the game and, and and every time you get back in the game that gets timed and if you have to get up 50 times 60 times over a game you then get the average time you know on a Monday presented right. to you and then there might be an award that goes to the guy that got back in the game the quickest and then you've got the boys at the bottom of the chart who's at the red you know they're uh, slacking so y- there was no hiding place you know uh, you know certain coaches that I played under you had stats for everything you had there was not one area of the game that wasn't being measured it really has become that statistical. I don't know what it's like in other sports, but rugby really has sort of changed a lot. And, and that's why I think the game is evolving at the right. speed that it is. When, did you have any moments where you made an absolute howler oh God, in the I, professional? Yeah, I, One uh, instance that sticks out, uh, traumatised by it. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, it was when I was 18, um, was playing sevens for Scotland at the time, and we were sort of three or four tournaments into the season. You travel around the world, you know, Dubai, South Africa, Cape Town, we, we were in Hong Kong and I had been playing quite well so I'd sort of pushed myself into the starting spot uh, in the team and we played Fiji first up, who are one of the best sevens teams in the world and we were first game of the tournament so the crowd is absolutely pumping, mm-hmm. it's just chaos and uh, we kick the ball off, we chase, we kick to them and I go to try and tackle this boy that catches the ball and he just rolls me. I go to tackle him, I do a backward roll. <laughs> like, honestly, it was like an acrobatic backward roll, flip back up onto my, my feet and the crowd were just like, ooh. And then after that, I ended up on the wing um, and the Fijian player got the ball. He kicked it over my head. Uh, I ran back to try and get the ball and... Uh, tried to pick it up as I went to pick it up the ball bounced the other way he picked it up and scored under the posts and then a few minutes later the thing that happened first of all where I got rolled off about that happened again so this was all within about three or four minutes oh, wow. and I'm just like I'm like a you know a deer in the headlights I'm, I don't know what's going on um, and I ended up getting pulled off at half time and that was the last I played that tournament so it, for the whole tournament it, I, that, that was the kind of uh, level that we were at the coach just you know, obviously a couple of bad things happened and then at that up. age as an 18 year old that you don't really know how to deal with it you're just you kind of go into this state of shock so uh, I, that was it that was me done for the tournament I was going to say on a, I'd imagine a rugby field can be a lonely place mm-hmm. when stuff like that's happening with you because you feel very exposed you're sitting there out oh. there with these monsters round about you yeah uh, no confidence in yourself and yeah you are and you right. know that's the thing like these and sevens more so than fifteens because obviously there's much more space in the field and you you need to be a, a faster, fitter athlete to play that game. Again, I don't think I was suited to playing sevens in order for me to play it. And I think the reason it happened was that the first three tournaments of the, the season were all back to back and then we had about four weeks off. I ended up going back to 15s rugby and then when the next tournament started, I came back into the sevens programme but at this point, this was back, you know, 12 years ago. I was training for 15s, but playing sevens. Like, that's just like madness because <laughs> it's a completely different game. And I think that's that's what happened before I went to, to Hong Kong was that I had basically been training my body in a way that was completely different to what it needed. And, and when I went out there on the field, 
I wasn't able to contribute in the way that I wanted to, but a lot of it was because I had been doing something completely different. So I didn't realize that until a few years later when I had got myself into a professional environment and I started to understand how it worked. But, you know, you can't be expecting to go out there on a world stage and, and compete at that level if you haven't done the, the work. But that was just due to the, the sort of systematic way the program was run. So yeah. you only learn in hindsight. Do you not think with the coach is a wee bit unfair for a boy of 18? Like, so you had a mayor, right? Mm -hmm. Then you got huckled out of the game not to give you another shot in that tournament because that, that can last. Yeah. No, I mean, you'd have liked a redemption shot, wouldn't you? Uh, that, it was a dark moment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I didn't really know how to react to it. Just felt embarrassed. Uh, felt like I'd, you know, messed it up completely. Do the coaches talk to you in that point? Do they, do they is there any dialogue nah, about nah, the rest nah. of the tournament or? No, at that point, there was that day and then the next day and I, I never got any conversation from the coach. I think when I got back or went on to the next, there was, I think we went to Japan the next week, I ended up playing a wee bit, but you know, he was, you know, it took him a week to basically get round to me, but aye, that was tough. That was a, a real sort of learning point for me and uh, I never wanted to go back to that. Mm -hmm. That was for sure. Aye. And other regrets when your professional career is there things that you, you look back on and you would change just see us sitting here now um, probably not like my biggest frustration through my whole career was sort of dealing with my body mm -hmm. and the fact that like it got hurt quite a lot mm -hmm. but so I also what injuries you had I had um, I've had loads I mean reconstruction on this shoulder uh, if we worked down the way actual start of the <laughs> neck the neck uh, I had like a bad bulging disc in my neck. Um, that was early on in my career, and that was like the biggest, you know, pain to be honest in my whole career because it never ever got back to above eighty percent. Right, okay. And then I ended up finishing up because I re-injured that that shoulder, bicep tendon, hip, uh, ankle three times, big toe once, um, and then obviously you've got like calves, hamstrings, and all the muscular stuff. But that, that was all the sort of surgeries that I had. Right. Uh, but it, it just, I, I don't I don't think MD really understands why some people are more prone to injury and some mm -hmm. people are. But I, I, I struggled. Um, I, I guess when I look at my family, uh, uh, the logical thing to do would be to go back and did anyone else play rugby in my family mm -hmm. and were those sort of things built up over Aye. the years? But nah, nobody did play rugby. Uh, I was the first sort of family member to, to have a go at the game. And... Uh, you know, maybe maybe it helps <laughs> if if you've sort of built up a a strength within your your DNA and your genes. I don't know, uh, but there's loads of things that come into it. You know, it's a it's a long conversation to delve into that. But yeah, uh, I generally struggled with my body, and that was something that I found frustrating. Um, if I could have changed anything, I wish I didn't get injured as much. Mm -hmm. But is that something you can control? No. I mean, I always like to think I played the game fully committed. Um, I would try and hit as hard as I could. I try and run as hard as I could. Um, whenever that little voice, that little bit of fear came into my mind, I often, as I got older, knew how to push that away, mm -hmm. just sort of override it. So I don't have any regrets other than, you know, I wish I just never got hurt as much. Yeah. Playing with a, an injury, like a neck injury it's from a young age, that must be quite scary. Yeah, I know. Or, or are you just that young? You don't think about it that way. At that, at the point where it happened first time, I was that young that I didn't think about it. I just mm -hmm. anything that I could do to get on the field and you so know, play the, injured, lie. Uh, uh -huh. oh, I played uh, yeah. injured so many times. Uh, 
the desire I think that a lot of people will relate to to succeed and do well uh, and and make it in professional sport is like unexplainable. You know, like it's uh, there's no logic to it. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm going to do anything to make this happen. So that was really what was driving everything. Um, but when I as time went on and I started to realise that like my neck wasn't normal. There were certain things that I couldn't do that other people could do. You know, they were the same age as me. They were playing the same sport. But, like, you know, my neck would make all these cracking noises and, you know, I just would, I'd be talking to somebody in a training session and I'd be looking at them like that. My neck was actually okay that day. And they'd be like, have you got a stiff neck? And I was like, no, I just can't. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It right. doesn't move properly because of a lot of the scar tissue, I think, that's within it. So I, it dawned on me as I got older that, you know, I was putting myself a lot of, a lot of risk and there's a lot of things to come after rugby. You know, I'm mm. 30 years old. There's a lot of things that I want to go and do in life. And now is the time to stop because uh, you're going to end up damaging yourself to a point where you can't go and train. You can't go and go for a walk or do whatever you want to do with your kids. So I just thought, you know right. what? Enough. 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 Um, so clearly it takes a lot out of you physically, yep. the game. Mm -hmm. But it also takes a lot out of the players mentally yeah um, as well so we've got Owen Farrell coming out yesterday saying that he needs some time off to, to mm. deal with um, anxiety and depression and his, his own mental health and you, you look at a, a guy there who from the outside world's in the, one of the best positions you could look at in professional sport captain of England mm -hmm. um, but yet he's, he's, he's still got these, these pressures and I when I was reading about that, I ended up going down a bit of rabbit hole and the stats around depression and mental health in rugby players is absolutely through the roof mm -hmm. and they're linking it to the amount of concussions yeah. that, 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 that folk get. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's actively discussed now with the players and the clubs? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've got the, the different concussion protocols coming in, um, but do you think these things are serious about trying to help these oh god yeah right. I mean it's a, I remember when I first you know started playing at a serious level compared to where it is now it is just mental how far all that stuff's come mm -hmm. uh, the doctors within the pro game are extremely serious about a lot of this stuff there's yeah. been a lot of light shed, shed on it over the past four or five years and you know you can uh, you can want to play as a player if you've had a concussion and you know it was two or three weeks ago by the end of the day, if you go through this system and there's one tiny little thing off, you're not playing. Mm -hmm. um, it's very in-depth. And, you know, I don't know if certain, uh, you know, things that I felt over my career were subject to that stuff Brain happening. Trauma. Like, right. you, mm -hmm. you never really know because, like, you know, you might have to go for a scan or whatever and get it looked into. But there's definitely periods of anxiety. Uh, I wouldn't really say so much depression. It was more just like, there's definitely one period of spiked anxiety. I don't know how, how that relates to whatever. It might have just been going through something that, you know, whatever. Um, but it is a, a serious topic in rugby at the moment. Um, you know, I know the, the game itself, the people within the game are trying to find ways of navigating it and, and mitigating these things happening. But it, again, it's a contact sport. It, it's a hard thing to try mm -hmm. and control. Um, but I feel... That personally I've come through and I don't seem to have any side effects. Uh -huh. you know, I feel well, I feel healthy. You know, my, my my own mental health seems to be in as good a place as it's ever been. Yeah. Um so I, I certainly don't have any regrets around playing the game. Uh the game has only done things that, is, that have been good for me, you know, the people that I've met, the the way that it's developed my character. For me, 
that's what is so good about rugby and I think the way that I would explain it is all of those things overshadow uh, some of these things that are being spoken about uh, but we're we're really still learning we're mm. still developing and learning about all these things and it, clearly it's a it's an amazing fantastic sport but it, it seems now that they're taking the things that they need to take series series yeah. and I mean they, they can't yeah. just ignore these things because I, I bet you've got loads of concussions when you're younger and just picked yourself up and, and went again yeah. they, they, they weren't thinking so it, I guess it's it's good that they are you're saying that the doctor can overrule you're no playing it doesn't oh, matter who I, you are I, or what the game is you're, you're no playing I, they, they essentially make the decision you know mm. if you uh, if they see you taking a bad knock in the field mm. you'll get up and try and play on but they'll pull you off uh-huh. um, there's no hiding place now it is the most serious part of the game uh, that's being looked at from a medical point of view uh, there's no corners that are getting cut yeah. and uh, you know I think now we're at a place where we've somewhat got it under control there's still going to be a lot more that we can do and discover mm-hmm. in the future but compared to what it was as you said like Aye. even like eight years ago you know there was none of that happening uh, Aye, pick yourself up and go on with it but <laughs> that's just the development of stuff isn't mm-hmm. it it's like science and understanding that you know ultimately getting hit on the head a lot uh, and getting concussions is, is never going to be good for anybody would you um, I think I know the answer to this one but would you want your kids to go into it I think if they wanted to, I would support them playing. Uh, and at an elite level, would you? Wouldn't it, me? I, I think I would. Again, I'd leave it open to them. Yeah. You know, I always think about my parents uh, and how they supported me through my rugby career. You know, when I first started playing, my mum didn't like coming watching, and she didn't really want to see me playing. But as time went on, it ended up being something that she absolutely loved. She didn't like seeing me getting hurt. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, like we were always a sort of football family my mum absolutely loves rugby that's the number yeah. one sport for her nowadays uh-huh. and I think that's a consequence of being able to come and watch me play and really starting to get into the game so yeah I think my answer would be if my kids wanted to play I would I'd let them sort of go on their own path um, that would be completely up to them yeah um, so at the end of your career you went out to the US yeah um, the US isn't really known for its rugby what's the, what's the setup? it must have been a, an amazing time going out to, was yeah. it California you were in yeah originally yeah. it was over there and then Chicago for the last year but uh, yeah rugby's grown out there uh, Major League Rugby which is the tournament that's now I think six years into its growth um, completely different to here the standard's not quite what it is at Glasgow Warriors but it's a physical league there's a lot of really good athletes um, is it mainly foreigners rather than US folk 50-50 right. uh, the teams the league structured in a way where uh, X amount of the teams need to be made up of US based players so um, you know you can bring in foreign players but there's also an amount of money a max amount of money that you can spend on those guys so it's really hard to sort of bring the big players in you can bring good players in but you know once you get to like those like world class levels there's, there's, it's hard to get guys over there but it's a it's a great tournament um, you get to travel around all the major cities in the US uh, I was in California Los Angeles which was uh, amazing because one the weather we were living by the beach unbelievable city to sort of get out and uh, have a lot of fun in um, so uh, yeah I, I Definitely see that as being like a highlight of my career. Spent two years in LA uh, and then the sort of second year was when that recurring neck injury happened. So I ended up uh, calling it a day and the team that I was playing at sort of got disbanded due to uh, certain rules that were broken. Um, <laughs> probably don't need to go into that too much. <laughs> but um, 
I ended up coming back for a wee bit after that and then going back out to coach at Chicago, which was a really cool experience. But yeah, I would recommend like the way that the, the, the league in the US is heading, when players get to the point where they maybe feel they're two or three years left to go, get yourself out there because America's a fun place. There's a lot of stuff going on out there that, you know, I, I maybe wouldn't want to live out there long term. But if you can go and get a couple of years out of it, what an experience. So much fun. So your, your final... Was it a final injury or was it a, a death by a thousand paper cuts? Was there one big injury you thought, no, it's me? Yeah. Or was it just a slow realisation of, nah, that, I'm done? A little bit of both. I had said to myself at a certain point, if I ever injured my neck again to the extent that I did, now that wasn't, that was maybe like two or three years ago. Mm. It, it wasn't when I first injured my neck. But there was that. And then also I kept cutting my head open. I kept like yeah. getting these mm. like massive cuts on my head and... I had, uh, you, you'll see like that, there's one like up, runs up this way, loads of my eye, and there's a couple on top of my head. Like I'm talking like cuts like that size. It was just ridiculous. So I had three or four of those and I said, if I, if I get another one like that, I'm just going to hang my boots off. I'm just, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just getting sick of it. So that, and, do you think that was something to do with how you were tackling at uh, the time honestly, or something? Or was just, just unlucky? Just, it, it was pretty much the way that I committed myself to right. cause. Like, you know, I would, I maybe wasn't the most technical player, but whatever I had to do to bring someone do down or drive someone back, I would do it. That was just the way that I approached things and it helped me, but it hindered me towards the end because it was just, you know, getting hurt mm -hmm. after getting hurt. But um, I essentially, in one game, this was my last game that I played, uh, came off the bench, I ran with the ball, put my head down low and I ran straight into somebody's quad and just compressed my neck really badly, which like, and I've done this thousands of times before but just this one time I ran straight into this like the kind of centre of this guy's leg whilst it was planted in the ground and I just compressed my neck as I did that I think I got a little bit of a concussion uh, and I knew instantly that my neck something was right. wrong with it because you know I just had this searing pain shooting down in my neck and my arms felt weak I kept playing got back up um, and then I this was maybe like three minutes later I was chasing a kick. Uh, their guy caught the ball at the back. He ran it back, and I went in to tackle a boy. He elbowed me right in right in the head, and I had this like huge cut. And again, I think I got a bit of a head knock whilst doing that. And I remember after that, just thinking I had to go off and get stitched. That was it. I'm done. Like, yeah. That's it. I'm done. Uh, two things or three things happening within you know a few minutes of a game. I just was like, that's that'll do me. Right. I'm I'm pretty certain at that point that I'm finishing up. Um, I let my body sort of heal up, the cut healed, the neck took about four or five months to get back to a point where it was like manageable, um, but I just knew, I was like, ah, it's time to finish. No, soon, soon, soon. How are you now? I'm good. No. Uh, I go to the gym every day, I train, I lift weights. I'm struggling to get into the running, you know, like, I think... But have you ever been a runner? Nah, mm. nah, I mean, mm. in rugby, in a game, you're running... 5k because uh, you need, you need <laughs> yeah. and then throughout the week you're you're covering somewhere like actual running meters between maybe like 10 and 15k now like that's obviously different running to what you would do if you're going to go out on the road like, I mean I've tried to build myself back into running because I actually think I would really enjoy it and whenever I do it and manage to get through it I do enjoy it but I've not been able to sort of uh, get on top of one my neck because it's just a constant hard yeah. getting to the ground through the spine and then also my calves my calves seem to like 
be unmanageable in terms of like they just pop yeah. after a certain amount so and I've tried to build up slowly and increase my load but I still Get find it difficult well that's uh-huh. the thing sitting on the bike the old neck doesn't oh, doesn't right. like that because mm-hmm. you're kind of over in that hunch position so at the moment my training consists of just weights uh, I do a lot of sauna I do a lot of cold plunge but I still love getting up and getting at it and, and sort of having goals and pushing towards them. But, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, fingers crossed in a bit of time I can sort of get back into my running and I would love to be able to do that. I just don't know if I'll be able to. And do you see coaching? You said you did some coaching in the US. Is that a path that you're, you're looking to explore over here? Yeah, potentially. I think the thing that I learned from coaching, you know, I went from playing professionally essentially straight into coaching professionally, which is quite unheard of. Normally you have to go down a wee bit, build some experience, but I got a good opportunity I went out there and, uh, you know, the thing with it was I found it quite restricting. You know, as a coach, you have to be leading a certain group of people and you can't deviate from that, you know, and quite often you have to almost take a bit of a stoic stance. And my character is, you know, I am interested in things of philosophy and mm-hmm. mindset, but I'm also just normal. Like, I, you know, I like... Having a laugh, having a joke and, you know, I'm quite creative in the sense that on social media, I'll be quite active. I like to make things and and that. And, and I've obviously had all these other things going on outside my career, whether it's been uh, entrepreneurial, business, music, whatever it is. And I just found that I'd, I wasn't really able to pursue those uh, without people looking at me. A wee saying, bit judgy. Aye. Almost like... Why is he doing that when he should be fully committed to this? Mm-hmm. And and it was never a case of that for me. It was a I was fully committed to my job, but I wasn't willing to let my job restrict me uh, from pursuing yeah. passions and things that things that are meaningful to me. So uh, I, I didn't really like that, and I don't know if it was serving me that well. So uh, I did six months of coaching, and it was good. I learned a lot, but. Uh, I just think it was probably the right thing to come back. And I, I know that in the organisation I was in, there was probably people that did, they were kind of frowning at me for doing these things. And uh, it was just time for me to sort of head back and, and the baby was the baby's going to be coming and we wanted to have that back here. So uh, I'm now pursuing different things and finding that enjoyable and being able to do that in a quite a relaxed manner. And did you see when it's a short career mm-hmm. um, and yours was... A sh- shorter than than most as well Um, did you prep for that or did you wait towards the end of it and think right Mm. what am I going to do next or all the way through it were you thinking about what's next and I'm going to be involved in Mm. other stuff because you you hear some guys getting to the end of whatever professional sport it is and they've got nothing to fall back on yeah it's an interesting topic Um, for me I had a business that I set up in 2017 whilst playing rugby uh, a health supplement business and uh, was really sort of highly involved in that over the sort of next two or three years and that was just at the point then when I went out to America so um, I I was fortunate enough that myself and my business partner were able to sort of grow that to a point Um, I went out to America I actually ended up selling a good chunk of what I owned in that company uh, but since that point, the company has just grown arms and legs. So I had a little bit of a cushion, or, or yeah, you could say a cushion, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew that that was there, uh, and and it allowed me to make the the decision that was the best thing for me in terms of whether I should retire or not. Yeah. So that was nice to have that, and I think like it's probably quite uh, un unnormal that a player would have done something like that in their career, but. 
you know, I think as much as it was a hindrance throughout my career that, you know, people were maybe looking at me and saying, oh, like, he's doing this and that and, you know, what's going on. It served me well when it Absolutely. came to the time where I finished up. So that that was really good. Um, and I had also met, the biggest thing for me in my career was the people that you meet because, again, we spoke about it earlier, the rugby community is quite educated and mm. there's often a lot of commercial partnerships within the teams that you play at that... Um, you know, you can go out and meet business owners, you can go out and meet people that are doing cool stuff. And it was always something that I tried to do. Every opportunity that I got to do that, I'd go and, you know, speak. Because people, people want to meet you and all, don't they? People want to meet you when mm -hmm. you're in the limelight of being mm -hmm. a professional athlete. Uh, a lot of people just love the sport and they want to have you as part of their life and be able to tell other people, oh, I know this guy. It's just, this seems to be the way that things go. So try to utilize all those opportunities. And then when it came to the end of my career, uh, there was a few, or sorry, when it came to the end of the coaching, there was a few things that uh, I was able to sort of step into um, initially uh, from a sort of more like investing point of view. Uh, I could see that there was opportunities in a few different companies uh, and one of the, those specifically uh, has sort of led to me sort of working there. So to answer your question short, I did things, I didn't study things within my career. There was nothing that was like real formal or, mm -hmm. you know, university. But I did a lot of things that I think provided me a skill set of being able to do quite a like vast array of different things within a company uh, that I think has paid dividends. That um, cushion's probably so important. See, yeah. see, having the ability to make the right decision rather than the decision you need to make because mm -hmm. you think, well, I need to earn. I know. I mean, it's, it's yeah. massive. That. A lot, a lot of people uh, find themselves in that situation, um, and they end up making decisions that uh, are more about money than their own health. And uh, I was just really fortunate. Uh, it's probably, as I say, uncommon for people to be in that position. But to be able to go out of the game on your own terms when you're ready is, I think, one of the most important things. And you know, I speak about it quite a lot now for athletes if they really want to prepare themselves as best as they can for that happening because it'll come around quicker than you think mm. get out there and speak to people try and learn a couple of really specific skills that every business or organisation needs and by doing that you put yourself in the best position to make sure that you can continue as smoothly as possibly and transition as best as you can Is it anything you go back into to speak to younger players about because or do they know when to hear it at that stage? No I think they would be open to hearing it mm -hmm. I'm still in contact with loads of guys that yeah. are still in the game guys that are my age some guys are older but certainly um, it's something that I try and be quite vocal about on social media um, because there's just a lot of stories where things don't go smoothly I've been fortunate where my transition has been smooth but you know you just have to try and share your experience with people um, and hope that theirs can be like that too um, you know there's a lot of I just think there's a lot of like noise and uh, mistruth around the whole transition out of pro, pro sport you know you've moved you go to different countries around the world and people all talk about it in different ways but there's a few countries in particular that are specifically like really negative and fearful over transition and out of rugby specifically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just think that that often uh, makes people scared and makes people fearful of the transition. I think you learn things throughout your career just from being in a team of uh, good people. Um, you have to learn how to collaborate with people. You know, if you're if you're an arse, you're, you're not going to last long. So there's so many things that even if you're not studying or developing other things that you learn that businesses want, you know, turning up, being hungry, uh, focusing, punctuality, 
uh, working with others in a way that is healthy. Um, the list goes on and on, but if you can understand and utilize that single thing in itself, you're going to be attractive to people. Um, you know, I think it's, it's the wrong way to look at it, that it's scary. I, I always look at it like it's an opportunity. It's yeah. an opportunity to go and do something different. What is it you want to do? Go for it. Uh, and to be honest, a lot of the time um, when players get to the end of a 10, 12, 14 year career, they're absolutely ready for a change. And that change can be seen looking forward as being scary. But in hindsight, when looking back, is the best thing ever. Right. You know, it revitalizes them. It makes them feel energized again and it, it brings a new energy to their life. Absolutely. One of the um, businesses you're invested in, mm -hmm. you're also doing business development for, is it Zapier? Yeah. Yep, Zapity. So Zapity, sorry. It's uh, yeah, sometimes tricky to correct it to about five people in the last few weeks. Uh, but aye, it's a, it's a file sharing platform. So again, how I got introduced to this, one of our investors in Pure Sport, which was the supplements company, he was involved in this and he played a real pivotal part and guiding the company and advising that company to where it's gone now. Um, so, you, you know, you always look around you and you tend to fall towards people that have done well for you or, you know, you've built up a relationship with for advice and guidance. So it was an opportunity to invest into this startup tech company. Uh, I did that. Um, I'm a big believer in just helping for the sake of helping. Um, so I helped them out with a bunch of things. And then as a consequence of sort of doing that, um, they asked me if I'd go and work for them. So now I'm doing a bit of work for them, uh, which is all just business development. You know, I'm not from the tech world. You know, a lot of the guys that work in this company are either like software engineers. Like geeks. Geeks. Uh, uh, yeah, or, uh, you know, there's the commercial side as well, which is like, it's, it's guys that have um, been involved in obviously the more face-to-face -face side of tech, uh, raising money, uh, you know, building relationships. I work in a team of those guys. Uh, and I'm learning so much off them, but it, it's been a really, really good experience. And uh, you know, I can see myself for the next three or four years really sort of getting my teeth into this. And you know, the idea is that we can build it up and get to a certain point, and then maybe pass it on, sell it on to someone else. But it's a great product. There's a lot of uh, intricate pieces to it that I think you know the file share market in general was only getting bigger. It's it's growing more and more. Uh, everything's online, obviously off, off the back of COVID. There's more remote working. Uh, files are getting bigger, virtual reality, augmented reality. You know, the the market's grown nicely, so it's a good time to be in. And uh, yeah, we're we're going to try and over the next few months as we launch, make a bit of a statement. And uh, so is that your job really then? Help, help with the statement? Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess that the branding, um, the way that we approach the market, uh, the people that we get involved in the community, and how we build that up—that's really part of my job, uh, and also sort of. Uh, as a sort of extension of the social uh, brand and the social media side of things. So uh, more so the creative side of of the whole company, uh, which is the part that I love. So I'm looking forward to, you know, when we get to our years down the line from now, looking back and, you know, seeing where we've come, you know, how's the brand changed? How's it developed? You know, who are the people that are involved in it? What is the identity? Because you're really building an identity and we've got a rough idea what we want that to be, but... It's going to be interesting looking back in a year's time. It'll be something totally different. It'll be completely different. I guarantee that. <laughs> it's pre-revenue just now, isn't it? Yeah, pre-revenue. Uh -huh. So uh, we're looking at January as being our sort of first revenue month. But the company's been uh, sort of developed for the last two and a half years. It was a COVID baby. So 
all the, the back end software has been getting developed, uh, all the better testing has been done and it's now at a point where uh, we've got a few tweaks to make over the next month but when we get to January we'll be foot to the floor, let's go. Good to go and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, baby on the way, mm-hmm. um, this business sounds like it's going to take up a lot of your time but what's next or don't you know? Um, you know, I've kind of structured my life in a way at the moment where I am doing this work for this company. Um, it is in a way where it's not like completely full time. So I do three days a week there, which is good. Um, you know what it ends up being like. You end up doing more than that, but that's like a startup. You're just gonna give as much as you can. But I structured my life in a way where I'm gonna have time to spend at home. Um, my wife isn't gonna be working when the baby comes, so she's gonna be there, which is brilliant. A lot of my work I'm gonna be able to do from home. But I'm also the type of person that. I have got a lot of ideas and other things that I do want to pursue. So she knows that <laughs> <laughs> and she seems to be okay at the fact that, you know, that's going to be my role. My role is to go out and, and sort of make things happen in terms of the finances within our, our, our little family. Um, and and I think she has always sort of wanted to take on the role of being the mum who is at home and be looking after her kids, certainly until they get to a certain age. So. Yeah, we've got that coming around the corner and that's going to be a big change for us. Uh, you know, a lot of people have sort of said to me, uh, you don't know what's coming and I don't know what's coming. No. And, I, and you know, it's one of those things where you only know the extent of what people were talking about when you're in it. So that's going to be interesting to sort of learn and, and play around in those dynamics. But my next four or five years, heavily involved in Zapote, I want to really uh, sort of grow that up and develop it but also there's going to be a little couple of side projects that I'm sort of taking on um, not too dissimilar to you to be mm-hmm. honest uh, yeah. very much in the sort of digital space um, you know partially working with businesses to to help them sort of understand how to tell their stories in a manner that is uh, easy mm-hmm. you know and, and they can be comfortable doing that uh, because I think you know the more the sort of social media develops a lot of it is becoming about video and about uh, authenticity and just you know speaking your message out there into the world so um you know myself and my friend we've got a sort of little uh, startup company just that is really just geared around allowing people to tell their story through uh, video content mm-hmm. whether that being in a podcast studio whether that being out on a construction site but really a uh, pushing on with that and and it's starting, certain doors are starting to open up already so uh, we'll see how that goes but uh, the way that my mind works is it's got uh, a thousand ideas a day so uh, pick one put the foot down for a bit and see how we go yeah we, we were talking before before we started this in terms of there's that much of the same old content out there just mm-hmm. now now the same old corporate crap getting mm-hmm. regurgitated 100% is an opportunity for somebody to say mm-hmm. how do we do this differently how, how can I make your company absolutely stand out yeah um, and you see the authenticity people don't want to be sold to anymore mm-hmm. I mean they want to make informed decisions based on information yeah, yeah. Um, if you try and sell to folk you just actually you push it repel them <laughs> no so uh, 100% there's, there's opportunity aplenty oh there is uh, and I think you know people don't want to be sold to anymore but everyone's looking for value and you know I think things have changed over the last five years maybe when it comes to social media I think as a company, you really need to, one, understand your customer. If you can understand your customer, you know what to create to get to them. 
But then when you actually get to them, it's purely about creating value. If you can create value, uh, whether you're selling a product or whatever, making a video, if you can give that person value, that seems to be the way that business is progressing and, yeah. and how, how social media and companies are scaling themselves up mm. organically. Because, you know, when it comes to the digital side, um, everybody seems, you know, when you look back to like 15, 12 years ago, you know, Google Ads was only being exploited by a certain amount of companies and, yeah. and the ones that sort of got in at that time before anyone else was they went Phew. but everybody's doing all this stuff now all the stuff in the back end so if you can figure out a way i think to grow your organic channels as best as you can but also be doing all this other stuff and talk completely authentically i think that's when something cool can, really cool yeah. can be built the organic channels are so important because um you can waste a load of money advertising. A load of money. Aye. I know that from painful experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we finish up, one last rugby question okay. for you. Um, one of the standard ones, if you could change any rule in rugby, what would it be? Good question. Um, man, if I'm being honest, I, I'd just get rid of scrums. Uh, scrums are... The, as someone who who's only ever watched rugby and I, I love rugby um, they confuse their bloody life out of me yeah. and they, they almost seem pointless now I know and, and I think even to be honest people in the professional game playing get confused by them as well there's so many intricacies the rules are changing quite a lot um, so how would I you mean, restart the game then if you took out the, the scrum what do you do just I mean you could just tap the ball and, go and, and go and play mm -hmm. uh, but the thing is is that like you know a lot of my mates are going to hate me for saying this because they play in the front row <laughs> the highest played positions quite often in the game nowadays are the front row because it is so technical and at the end of the day the scrum is a p pivotal um, part of the game if you can have a, a tight head prop and a hooker a front row in general who can win you a couple of penalties a game that is so valuable so it's probably quite a controversial thing to say but you know I, I like rugby league purely because of the fact that the ball's in play a lot and it's mm -hmm. exciting and I think people nowadays want to watch something that's exciting and it's all in you know our attention spans are getting shorter people don't want to have to sit and try and figure out what the rules are yeah, and what way is the ball going so I think the more exciting we can make the game the more eyes we'll get on it um, and the more attention we can grab because I think some of the games in the, the World Cup it seemed that the actual goal of the game was to get penalties rather than to score yeah it's so Aye. tactical mm. you know like Teams are South Africans, especially right. <laughs> exploiting every tiny little area of the game that they can to make sure that the the, the, the scrum is so powerful. Is, their, their scrum is, you know, the best in the world. So they are uh, they're, they're big men. They're, they're strong and they're uh, you know very technical around how they approach and strategize certain areas of the game. So they're probably the best in the world at the moment, and I think that's again why they're champions. Yeah, awesome. Um, so looking forward to see what comes next for you you've got a busy year ahead with you with a new baby on the way mm -hmm. um, you've got this, this business it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you so I look forward to see what you do appreciate it Danny thanks right, for having me